0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Well, hey, good evening, everybody. Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. Let me read this for us. This is Jesus speaking. I came to cast fire on the earth. And would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. There will be divided father against son. Son against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. When you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the dr- judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Heavy words from Jesus. Heavy words from Jesus. And before I even try to preach these heavy words, let's just pray, right? Bow your heads with me. Father, Thank you for your word. We believe that it is holy, it is good, it is true, it is trustworthy. We believe that the, the words of Scripture come from your very lips as though you spoke them. We trust and believe that you spoke them through really imperfect men, but as the Spirit carried them along to write and to speak, that they were written in such a way that they were complete and whole. And so then your word speaks into our lives, Lord God, because we are people who are incomplete and we are not whole. We are broken and in need of a fresh word from you. And so I'm aware, Lord, that all throughout Scripture, as we study our way through this, that that we are confronted with different times and different seasons of not just life, but we are confronted with different times and different seasons of what you would say to us, and we are then left with the responsibility to make decisions. We are left with the responsibility and the opportunity to make choices, And so, Lord, as we kind of discuss and as we lean into this theme of what it looks like to be a people who are uh, engaged with you, engaged with the message of the gospel, engaged in this season of our life as we gather here tonight, for each of us individually and corporately, each of us must face the fact that there is a time to make choices. So, Lord, I pray that, that you would be so present That you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to see what time it is for each of us as we gather here this evening. I trust that your word, as it is preached, will accomplish the purposes which you intend for it to accomplish. So God, we trust you with this time, we trust you with our hearts and lives, and we ask that you would speak through a really imperfect Preacher, pray that you would remove me and insert yourself over the next few moments. Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So we're going to kind of be talking about what it looks like to to kind of be captured in this moment of time. Like we are here together. We're gathered together. We've got Christmas lights. We've got a beautiful space that we can meet in. We're sitting next to friends and family. We've come and we've gathered. Some of us, we come in the door and we're really tired. The season of life, this time of life in terms of holidays, right? For many guys are preaching through the Advent season. In the Advent series, and that's why we've got candles up here on a candle stand. And I've never been good at putting together series in advance to match the season. But we realize that as we gather here, there's a certain time and a certain place and a certain space. And each of us has made a decision and a choice to be here this evening. So life is full of choices. Life is full of times when we must make a decision. Life is full of times when we must either crap or get off the pot. I went to the doctor this week to see the doctor for some issues that will remain somewhat unmentioned. But at this point, all the guys in the room that are in my gospel community should start laughing raucously because you know the issues. The doctor mentioned to me that one of the issues that lends itself to my problems is sitting on the pot for too long. That can become an issue. So he says, quit reading your books there. And at that point as I'm talking to my doctor, you'll never forget this, at that point as I'm talking to my doctor and receiving an examination, which I will not talk about any further past this point, my doctor gave me one of those moments where I had to choose, had a decision to make. I know this is kind of funny. We all face times of decision and choice throughout the day. We do not get to just sleepwalk through life and pretend like life is just going to happen around us. Because as life happens, we either A, make the choice and the decision to no longer make choices and decisions, or we make choices and decisions. Follow what I'm saying? You're always making a choice. There's always a time to make a choice. And there will be three basic choices and decisions that we're going to kind of talk about coming out of this text Certain time that Jesus is talking about. And I'll just kind of lay all my cards on the table for a moment before we dive back into these passages. But here's kind of the three key ideas: like uh, uh, when you decide to follow Jesus, when you start thinking about following Him, when you start thinking about being a Christian or being part of a church and the mission that that church family engages, uh, you can either choose to be a part of all of that for two basic reasons. Either A, because I want my life to change and I want things to get easier. Life has been sucking up until now. I've been sucking water and so now I'm gonna follow Jesus and I'm thinking it's all gonna get better. It's gonna get easier, right? And Jesus kind of confronts this notion in this text and he points out to us that that life is not about uh, this time to choose like an easy life. It's actually about choosing the hard life. When you think about Jesus, you think about the way of the cross. What we're talking about is a hard and difficult life. This, this is a picture of a, of a savior who, who turned his eyes and his face towards Jerusalem because he would not accept the easy life. There are far too many people today claiming to be Christian and joining up with churches today because they want an easier life. And I would say this is not a place that you're going to hear this easy message of the quote-unquote gospel where you get rich and get lazy and sit around and let life just float by while you get wealthier because you quote-unquote believed in Jesus and your your friend crowd just got better than it was before. That's not the message of the scriptures. It's, it's it's a message of the cross where disciples act like the Savior they claim to follow and they pick up that cross and they walk with it. It's hard. It's hardship. It's a hard life. not easy. We're going to go there. We're going to come back there in a minute. Another place we're going to go to tonight is we're going to talk about what it looks like to kind of be living in a time where we are to choose to keep our eyes open. Oftentimes we have a tendency to, to kind of walk through life kind of sleepwalking. Life just kind of happens. And I'm just kind of the passive recipient of what's going on in life. And I can do nothing to change the outcome. Almost kind of like walking through life blindly. Tyler, that's your cue. Almost like walking through life blindly. Almost like walking through life with our eyes completely shut. One of the things I love about Tyler and his physical blindness is all of his jokes about that physical blindness. We're in our gospel community this last week and he walks in the bathroom right behind us and he doesn't turn the light on. All the guys are like, Tyler, turn the light on. And he's like, oh, okay. Like like, like the message for us is that we oftentimes walk through Life in a spiritual haze, in a spiritual daze. Our eyes closed to what God is wanting to do spiritually. We ignore things. We get passive. We make excuses. And Jesus would say, hypocrites, do you not know what time it is? Get your eyes open. So we're going to talk about what it looks like to kind of see this time as a time to choose to open our eyes to the work of the gospel, not just in our midst, but what God wants to continue doing through us and through our church in this community and what maybe he wants to do in you and in your heart and your mind and your lifestyle. And the final thing we're gonna kind of land on towards the end uh, is not just the fact that uh, it's time to choose to uh, uh, live this hard life and it's time to choose to uh, open our eyes, but it's also time to get our hearts right before God. Like it's time choose to get our hearts right before God. What does that look like? That's what we're going to talk about, is those three things. See, like I said earlier, we we all spend time making choices every day. Every day, we make different decisions, but we struggle. We struggle with making these decisions in regards to Jesus, right? We struggle with, with uh, choosing uh, to, to choose the the hard life of the gospel. I want you to turn back with me for a minute in uh, verses 49 through, through 53. 49 through 53, we learn this basic biblical principle. It should be on the next slide for you. This basic biblical principle that it's time to choose, one more slide forward, that it's time to choose the hard life of following Jesus. It's not about choosing the easy life. Look at verse 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Anybody like backyard fires and barbecues? and those? That's not what he's talking about. I'm just letting you know, just so you know. Like, don't get sidetracked. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth. So is this like some weird sci-fi movie where comes to cast like fireballs? Like, goodness gracious, great balls of fire type of thing? No, it's not that either. Um, though, that would be fun too. That's not what he's talking about. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. What Jesus is saying is, Hey, I came to cast this fire on the earth and I'm super duper impatient about it getting started. I'd love to see the fire already kindled. He moves on and he also says this. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Like Jesus is using two pictures, two images. He wants to paint this. Jesus is a great teacher. That's what I love about Jesus. He paints these pictures for us so that we can grasp what he's talking about. Two images, the image of fire and the image of baptism. And what he's saying is I want this fire to start I want it to be kindled. I want it so bad I can feel it deep down in my bones. Would that it would be kindled. And I also have a baptism. I have a baptism to undergo. And I'm impatient about it. I can't wait till it gets accomplished. These two pictures throughout scriptures seems very clear to most scholars that the fire is the fire of God's judgment. Jesus is saying, I wish that the fire of God's judgment would come. Why? Why would Jesus say that? Isn't isn't Jesus like this message of love and peace and harmony and like kumbaya around the fire and put like flowers in your hair and smoke pot? No, none of that. Definitely not smoking pot. And we can have that conversation afterwards if you must. Yes, yes, I know there were seeds in the Old Testament. I get it. There's still seeds today. Jesus is talking about the fire of judgment. Why would he want that to come fast? Because of the very next passage, he says, I've a baptism to undergo and I can't wait till it happens. The baptism that Jesus is about to undergo as he's turned his face towards Jerusalem is the baptism of the anguish and the suffering of the cross. I want you to catch this for a minute. What do you and I get impatient about? We get impatient to have our dinner. We get impatient to get uh, our cars clean. I get impatient to get that next raise. I, I get impatient for this. I get impatient for that, right? What do you get impatient about? You know what Jesus was impatient about? Jesus was impatient about the suffering of the cross. He was impatient to face the pouring out of his father's wrath and judgment that was meant for all of humanity, but was actually going to be poured out on him on a cross. He's saying, I can't wait till this happens. This is what Jesus was impatient about. Jesus was choosing the hard life. He did not choose the easy life of staying in heaven in this really beautiful place where his great pack of friends was in and out. Jesus chose to come and endure suffering, the hardship of this baptism of being submerged. You imagine the picture of being submerged underwater as in baptism. And Jesus is saying, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to be submerged in the judgment and the wrath and the anger of my Father that is being poured out towards all humanity. And I can't wait to take that for you. That's what he's saying would that it was already kindled i can't wait till this happens one one commenter said that this is like a holy impatience on jesus's part he chose he chose at a certain time and you know when that time was it wasn't like when jesus was like oh crap the world is going to hell in a handbasket like those guys just sinned again dang it what am i going to do about this Well, I'm thinking I'm probably going to have to go do... No, that's not the way it happened. Jesus didn't just like react and respond. Jesus was intentional. He planned a long time ago to leave his great place in heaven to come here to endure a hard life. Put that on the sign outside and try to recruit people with that to a mission. Hey, come here, follow. It's going to be a hard life. It's going to be a hard life. You're going to have to give up your comfort you're going to have to give up the things you want. You're actually going to have to give up relationships in some cases so that you can, you can live life in gospel community in a way that opens the doors to others in our community. It's hard life. It's a cross-carrying life. Jesus went before us, and he couldn't wait. How many of us sit around and complain because we're impatient, things don't go the way we wish they did? Like our friend group and our gospel community isn't quite what we wish it would be. Like we can't meet with the people we wish we could meet with. We can't go to the places we like wish maybe we could go. Like if we look around the church and we say, man. And then there's some others of us who are like, man, I'm here because it's like the best group of friends I've ever had. That's great, but don't hold on to that for too long. Because as you get to know each other, guess what? It's going to get hard. It's going to get hard as you get to know each other. The reality of following Jesus is that it's time to choose the hard life. Get our eyes off the idolatry of the American good life. He moves on. To continue compounding this point, right? Verse 51, he says, do you think that I've come to give peace on the earth? Do you really think that I came to give you the best life you could ever have? Like, that's actually a title of a Christian book, The Best Life You Never Had or Ever Had or Could Have, right? Don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not knocking the book. It's probably a great book. Never read it. But this is not the punchline of how Jesus recruits people into the kingdom. This is not the punchline of how Jesus builds his church. Hey, come here, and you're going to get, like, this really great peaceful life. We're going to give you a T-shirt with the name of our church on the back, and it's going to be awesome. It's not Jesus. Jesus is like, you think that I came to bring peace? He actually goes on and he answers his own question. He says, do you think I've come give peace on the earth. The interesting thing I think is that if he would have waited long enough for people to answer the question, what do you think the answer would be? Hey guys, do you think that I came here to bring peace? Yes, Jesus, that's what we believe. No, you're wrong. Let me just explain this. Like that's what's happening in this conversation. Jesus asking a rhetorical question and then giving his own answer to it immediately. It's kind of like you can just see everybody like just kind of following him like, yeah, Jesus, peace, like chocolate candy and wine. This is going to be great, right? He goes, no, ain't wrong. Listen, do you think that I've come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. What? 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 You came to bring division, not peace? Hey, don't hear me wrong. Like Jesus did come to bring peace between you and me, us and our Father. We were, we were at war with our Father. That's the kind of peace that Jesus brings. You and I, we were, we were at war with our Father in heaven. He created us. We rebelled. We've been sinful. We've been living that way for a long time. And truth be told, we're all going to go back to living that way. Every moment, every second of our lives we're going to struggle with it. But the reality is that when Jesus came, he's impatient to go to the cross to receive that judgment and that payment for our sins so that we can walk rightly with our Father in Heaven so we can no longer be his enemies. That's the kind of peace. He came to hold up the white flag and say, because of my work, you no longer have to be at war with your Father in Heaven. You can now be family members. That kind of peace he did bring. But the other thing that he did not necessarily come to bring was this peace here on earth, right? We are peace on earth, goodwill towards man. Guess what? Jesus actually prophesies it's not going to be that way. He actually came to bring division. He says it this way in the following verses. He says they will be divided. From now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two. Catch this. Three against two, and two against three. He uses these words intentionally, and then he actually describes what he means. He goes on to describes the types of people that will be divided against each other. Look at it with me. Verse 53. They will be divided. Father against son. Catch this. Father against son. And son against father. So who's divided? The older against the younger, right? Okay. Older against, let's move on to the next one then. Son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Older to younger, am I right? Older generations and younger generations divided. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. There are, there are five different kinds of people in the text and there are five different kinds of people that are divided. Three against two. The way Jesus describes this is an older generation is divided against a younger generation. Some of you may ask why? Why? Some of you were sitting there like I really don't care It seems kind of like a stupid little piece in the text Let me just explain for a minute I think most people that comment on this text would say Part of the reason Jesus maybe lays it out this way is just possible because we really, probably really don't know Because he doesn't necessarily explain it But it could be this That there are long held traditions and rituals of men that were, that were permeating and infecting the Jewish nation during this time. I want you to remember that, that in this moment, as this is happening, there are thousands of people gathered. Thousands of people. You go back a couple chapters, go back a few verses, you find thousands of people were gathering in one large space. Jesus is addressing his disciples, and he's addressing this large crowd. And what he's doing is, I think he's combating... Some older ritualistic types of traditions that had permeated people and the way they thought, the way they behaved, and the way they lived. Because what he's really doing is he's like saying, hey guys, like you're missing it. The time is now to choose this. Not the easy life, it's the hard life. And the hard life is a life that at times leads to division. So, so I don't think that it would be appropriate for us to make an application that says Hey, younger people have got it down and older people, you're out. That that doesn't make, because I'm I'm in that older group of people. Uh, Number one, I don't want to be out. And and that's not the way, that's not the reason you interpret the text this way. The reason you interpret the text this way is because that's not what the text is trying to say. The text is just simply saying, there will be people with long-held traditional values and thoughts about what it looks like to be godly who are missing it by a mile. That's what I don't want to be. I don't want to miss the fact that what Jesus calls us to is a life of hardship and somehow begin to think that following Jesus is about some sort of a cush life where everything works out for me. And I think that's part of the major part of what Jesus is combating in this text. Is, hey, I didn't come just to bring peace, I actually came to bring division. That's going to happen. Like, people are going to divide against you, people are going to go to war with you. And the reason is because there are going to be some people who choose to actively respond to the message of the gospel. And there's others who will actively choose not to respond to the message of the gospel. Remember, contextually, right? Like throughout the scriptures, we see this theme. Very simple passage, right? Going back in the gospels, it talks about how, how wide is the way and, and many are on that path. Many of them are on that really wide path and, and it leads to destruction. And then there are few. There are few. And it's easy, by the way, on that big wide highway. It's easy. It's an easy life up there. And then you got this little path down here. It's really hard to stay on. There are very few people who actually follow it. And you got all sorts of people who got great religious rhetoric, great religious lingo. I go to this gospel community or that church, or I follow this pastor or that preacher. I read this book. I said this prayer at that one place. And Jesus is like changing my life. I've got a better group. you got, you got this group of people that are on this wide path. It's easy. It leads to destruction. And there's this narrow path. Narrow path, and it's hard. It's a very difficult path to follow. It's a difficult path to stay on. There's no reason that you and I should be deceived into believing that in those moments of time when we choose to follow Jesus again and again and again and again, that somehow it's going to get easier. Like the choice to follow Jesus daily is hard because that path is so slim, it's so small, but it leads to life. It leads to life. And the only life you and I should ever want that is actually the best life we could ever have now is the one that follows Christ by carrying the cross. What Jesus says is it's time to choose the hard life. I look back at verse 54. Look back at verse 54. The the second principle that we're going to look at is that it's time to choose not only the hard life of following Jesus, but it's time to open our eyes. Time to open our eyes. I mean, one of the things that stops us from actually choosing and deciding uh, the hard life is the fact that we might walk through life with our eyes closed. So Jesus says, Hey, As I call you to follow this life of hardship, make sure your eyes are open. And if they're not, the time is now to open them. time is now to choose to open them. Not tomorrow. It's now. Right? Look at the way he says it. Verse 54 through 56. He says, it says, he also said to the crowds, so, so before this, it's like he's talking to the disciples. Now he turns his attention to the crowds and he addresses everybody that's there. And he says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say it once. A shower is coming and so it happens. When you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So when I walk out my back door of my house, sometimes what happens is I get hit in the face with this smell, this ungodly smell. It's not like I I haven't taken a shower in a while because my wife and I are still trying to figure out how to get the shower fixed in our house, not just that. I walk out and I catch this smell and it smells like a mixture of Burger King, and a cow's butt put together, right? Anybody else ever ever experienced this? Like when the wind is just kind of coming slightly out of the northwest from kind of the the Junietta area, and for anybody that lives in Junietta, I'm sorry. Like there's some feedlots over there. And like when the temperature gets just right on a certain day, and the wind kicks up and it blows from that direction, you can go, those are the feedlots from Junietta. And it smells like a dead cow. It's it's like probably the harshest, most graphic term I can put to it from the pulpit, right? And what happens is I know that that's coming from there. What Jesus is saying is essentially the same. Hey, you can see things happening in your physical life. Like, you can see sickness coming. You can see that the weather's going to turn bad because the meteorologist on TV said the weather's going to be bad on Thanksgiving. So, therefore, there are many of us who did not travel that day probably smart. We watch these things happening around us and we feel aches and pains and we go to the doctor if we're not super stubborn like I am. We see things that happen physically and we respond and we react appropriately. And Jesus is saying, good job, good job, good job for you guys. But you missed it. Like you missed it in this area because something spiritually is happening and your eyes are blind to it. What he simply says is he says, hey, you know, when you see the clouds, I think, coming up in the west, you know it's going to rain. You know it's going to rain because that cloud is coming up from the Mediterranean. The Mediterranean was basically west of where they were standing in that moment. And he's saying, as a meteorologist in your time, you guys are able to tell, hey, that cloud's coming, it's going to rain. We better like button down the hatches, get in the house, get our umbrellas out. You prepare. You make choices based on the time that it is, based on what you see happening. And he goes, oh, so you, you see the wind coming out of this other direction, Right? When you see the wind come out of this other direction, you know that it's coming from the direction of the desert. So you know we're about to get a big fat heat wave. Time to turn the air conditioners on, right? You guys do really good with that stuff, but you miss the fact that I'm standing right in front of you. My name is Jesus. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I've been preaching the gospel for years in this area. And thousands of you are coming to see, but you still have missed the point that you need to open your eyes and trust in me. There were many that were standing around in that time who had already decided not to choose Jesus. And the point, I think of this entire text, is it's time to choose Jesus. That's really what it is. Look, like if we're going to live the hard life, if we're going to, if we're going to uh, choose to keep our eyes open... What we're really choosing is to choose a hard life like Jesus walked and lived, and we're also going to choose to keep our eyes open and focused on Jesus. We've been working through the Book of Philippians with our family on Monday nights, and uh, have really been uh, kind of just enjoying that. Uh, and one one of the things that the Apostle Paul says in some of his letters kind of goes something like this: like, hey, forgetting the past, forgetting what lies behind, like I'm setting my attention, my focus, my gaze, my eyesight. My open eyes, I'm setting it on Christ. I'm setting it on things above, not on things of this earth. This is a picture of what it looks like to keep our eyes open, keep it focused on Jesus. And the great thing about Paul is when he says that, you want to know where he's sitting? It's kind of like what Eric said earlier. Now he's sitting in a hole in the ground, chained to a guard. I mean, the only way he gets to go use the restroom in his little rat-infested, piss-infested prison cell in the ground is to do that with the prison guard attached to him. And this is Paul who says, I'm not going to keep my eyes on things of the earth. Like, the things of the earth matter little to me. I'm going to keep my eyes focused on things above. I'm going to keep my eyes open. Not going to sleepwalk through life. Time to choose to keep your eyes open. Like, what are some of the physical things in your life right now? Draw this home to yourself. What are the? What are some of the things that frustrate the ever living bejesus out of you? What are some of the things that cause you to stay up late at night? What causes you to get angry? What causes you to feel really depressed? When you feel these things, what, what do you desire? When you desire something that you do not have, what is it that you're really desiring here on this earth? What is it that is actually driving you batty? What Jesus is saying is get your eyes open. It's time to choose to open your eyes and get them focused on Jesus. That's what he's saying. It's time to choose. It's time to choose. Third portion of our text is this. It's not only time to choose the hard life of following Jesus. It's not just time to choose to open our life. But number three, open our eyes. It's time to choose. Didn't do it. All right. Picking on the PowerPoint, guys. It's not just time to choose the hard life. It's not just time to choose to keep our eyes open, but it's time to choose to get our lives straight with God. Get our lives straight with God. Make things right with God. Look at these final verses. Oh, right, I got a quote on the screen. Look at the quote before we look at these final verses. man. as we dig into that, like Spurgeon, you guys know Spurgeon's one of my favorite teachers, right? My favorite preachers, love this guy. Quote him all the time. He says, it says, he says, if the grace of God only came to those who deserved it, it would not be grace at all. Think about that. The, <laughs> if the grace of God only came to those who deserved it, it would not be grace at all. Ah, I could live on that. Like that that gives me meat for my soul, food for my soul for days. Every time I start thinking I deserve this, every time I start thinking, hey, hey God, I failed again. Like I gotta make this right with you again. What can I do to make it right? I'm reminded that grace, grace wouldn't be grace if I somehow deserved it or could earn it. It would not be grace at all. Spurgeon moves on, he says, if it only visited those who could claim it, It would be a matter of debt, not a free gift. It would mean this, that God owed me something. And I know that there's a few of us in the room, all of us here, that sometimes think, God, you didn't give me what I deserved. You didn't give me what I wanted. You owed me this. Many of us that think this way, in our lowest of lows, Spurgeon says, man, it would be a matter of debt, not a free gift. But since it is the want of God to give his grace to the most unworthy, then why should not he give it to you and to me? This is a great quote. And I'm telling you, like, you should get a slide of this, stick it in your Bible, and meditate, feed on it every day. It goes right along with the final verses of this text. Verses 57 through 59. It says, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, as you walk out this life of either A, following Christ or not, for some of you in the room, as you walk out your life, why don't you judge what is right for you? I'm not talking about judging what is right for everybody else. I'm talking about judging what is right for you in terms of what God's word actually says. Rather than trying to distort it, rather than trying to make excuses, why Don't you judge for yourself what is right. As you go with your accuser, as you go, as you journey... As you go with your accuser, I want you to think about this. Who is your accuser? You've got two basic accusers in Scripture if you know your Scriptures well enough. And if you don't, let me teach you this. And then my prayer is that when you leave here, you check out what I'm teaching you and you find out if it's true or not. have got a friend of mine that always says this. I made this comment in our membership meeting. I told him I would never say this from the poll, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyways. I've got a friend of mine that says this all the time. He's like, hey, half of what I preach to you guys tonight is probably heresy. It's on you to figure out what was wrong. And they come back and tell me so I can get it straight. And I just said that from the pulpit, and I said I wasn't going to ever say that. Why did I say that? Because I really want you guys to do that work well. Like, find out. Like, what did I say tonight that wasn't right? And then come back and let me know. And let's get that straight, right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, who is the accuser? You got two accusers in Scripture. Check it out. Ain't got time to really lay it out, but check it out. You got two accusers. Either A got Satan. We know he's the accuser of the brethren right always bringing accusation to you and i to get us under a heavy weight of guilt and burden and hopelessness whereby we go life is hopeless it sucks i can't do anything i give up that's the accuser that's satan comes to steal kill and destroy comes to ruin Comes to, comes to draw your attention to worship yourself rather than worship God, comes to shut you up so that your mouth, so that your heart, so that your words, so that your thoughts, so that your lifestyle no longer worships him. He comes to kill you. He doesn't come to bring life. Thankfully, Jesus came to bring life. The other accuser in scripture, and this, part, this point could probably be argued to some extent, but the accuser, according to some of the early church fathers, could easily be seen as the law of God. Now let me just pause and just say this. The law of God is good. The law of God is good because it lets us know what God wants for us. It lets us know what is good and right and holy for us. The law of God is, God is good. But what the law of God does is it, it kind of in a sense accuses you. It, it, it makes you guilty. It lets you know that, that you are hopeless to ever do it Right. So as you go, he says, judge for yourselves what is right. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way lest he drag you to the judge. Maybe the judge is the Father in heaven. What if you think of it that way? Your Father in heaven is the judge, right? We grasp that. He's a judge in a courtroom. And when we get dragged into that courtroom, as the magistrate lays out our list of debts, our list of things that we have done to break God's perfect and holy law, our list of things that we have done to fall short of and not just fall short of, but like I said last week, you've got this list of of uh, transgressions and you've got this list of sins. You've got this list of things that you've not only uh, just missed the mark on, but you knew what was wrong and you actively did it, right? This causes debt that we owe to our Father in heaven. Make an effort to settle with him on the way lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. And one of the like, most interesting things about this very final statement is he's saying, hey, you better make things right before you get there because if you get there and you get thrown in prison, you're never going to make it right until you pay the last penny. And what he's saying is, hey, you can't pay the last penny. You and I cannot pay the price. You and I were, would never be able to pay the price for, for the debt that we've racked up against God. We are unworthy. That may feel heavy, right? It may feel weighty. For me, it brings up a sense of joy. Why does it bring up a sense of joy in me? Because I know that I am released from all my working. I know that I'm released from all the work that I have to do to pose or to impose self-righteousness upon myself so that I would be seen as good enough to be in my Father's presence. It brings up joy because now I see the, the picture of the perfection of the cross. This is what Jesus was so impatient about, was being able to settle the debt for you and I. So that on the way, we could simply say, Jesus, I trust in you. See, it's time to choose the hard life. Time to choose to open our lives. And time to choose to settle the score. To pay the debt. And the way we do that is by trusting in Christ. Jesus, you paid it. You paid it all. We sang that song today. In Christ alone, right? That's the song we sang. And we learned that in Him, the debt has been paid completely. No more faking no more pretending, no more working to get it right, to earn his love, to make things right. Now we work from a completely different set of motivations. Now, in joy, I get to work out my salvation on a daily basis. I get to just love him. I'm set free to love him the way he loved me. Before, I was in bondage, I was in chains, I was in a prison cell trying to love him the way that I wanted to be loved. But then Christ comes in and he speaks and he says, now's the time to choose. Choose the hard life. Choose to open your eyes. Choose to follow me. That's the message. It's time to choose. Let me invite our music team forward as we wrap up our time. And as we wrap up our time, kind of end with this statement that I know that we had kind of at the beginning. Just to kind of summarize everything in case you missed anything. And it's time to choose to follow Jesus. Time to choose to follow him into the hard life with our eyes wide open and focus on the gospel which cancels our debt with God. That's what cancels our debt. I was just even talking to our membership class uh, before we came in this evening. And we were just talking about what this looks like to respond to Christ and respond to the gospel and follow him. And we were just kind of talking about what it looks like to receive Christ through grace, by grace, through faith. And we were just talking about how even faith itself, just if you talk about by grace through faith, even faith itself is, is this miraculous thing of God. Because if I could receive Christ by mustering up. Everybody just kind of like muster things up, right? It's like think about mustering up. Every ounce of faith and effort you have inside you fall short. Because if the faith that you have originated with you it's worthless. Let me say it again. If the faith that you have originated with you it's worthless. So the faith inside of you Hebrews claims and I believe it Hebrews claims that the faith inside of you, that Jesus Christ was the author and the finisher of your faith. You want to know another time when that word finished shows up in Scripture? On the cross. Jesus was impatient to get to the cross. And and he says, I want to get there. I I want this whole thing to happen. Because on the cross, at some point, he would say, it is finished. What was finished? Your freedom was purchased. Finished, done, done, complete at that time. But you and I, like we walked through life beaten down. We walked through life trying to earn. We walked through life pretending. We walked through life making excuses. We walked through life wondering. We walked through life wondering what's the choice now? The choice now is to follow Him because it's finished. And the faith that's being given to you to respond to Christ in this moment right now in this time the choice you get to make is not made because you're so good it's made because his love is that good it's finished like every sin that you wrestle with it's finished you are set free You don't have to walk around with your head hung low. You walk around with the joy of God deep inside of you. The reason is because it is finished. The faith that is in you was written by Christ. He wrote the book and then he finished it and he accomplished it. It's yours and he gave it to you. Like you and I, we don't have to walk around anymore worrying about our selfish needs. We can confess that and we can just say, Jesus, I'm choosing the hard life. I'm not choosing the easy life. I'm choosing the hard life because you were impatient to go to the cross and finish everything so that I could be free, so that debt could be paid. I can't pay it. You paid it. Jesus, I love you. That's awesome. That's joyful. You and I, we can choose right now choose right now a hard life to keep our eyes open instead of closed against what God is trying to do in our hearts and lives. And we can also choose to settle the debt, settle the score by trusting in the gospel. That's the reason for communion. You're here and you're a Christian. I said this last week, I think, if you're here and you're a Christian, you should be running to the front here in a moment to take Communion because you understand the depth of your great need for Christ. You should be impatient to come and engage in this because you've been made part of a family because of the agony of a cross which broke a perfect man's body, which caused his blood to be shed and poured out all over the place. You should be rushing the front. If you're here and if you don't know Jesus, and you say, I'm still checking this out. Don't come. Don't come. Do not buy into an idea of ritualism and faking your way through things where you just pretend. If this moment is where you say, yes, this moment right now, it's time. And I choose the hard life, the life of the cross of following Christ. So that's now. Then, yeah, you come. You come and you engage and you enjoy and you bask in the presence of the realization and the understanding that Jesus chose the hard life. He had his eyes completely open from the moment they made this plan. He, Father, Son, and Spirit, before the foundations of the earth, his eyes were open and his plan was on you. His gaze, his affection was set upon you. So then he came so that the debt could be settled with our Father in heaven. It's time to choose. Let me pray. Jesus, Jesus, Lord, we thank you for our time in the scriptures, and we thank you for this message, and we thank you for the for gospel of Luke. Pray for our folks as we close in worship and as we engage in communion. Pray, God, that you would just impact us at a deep level. Help us to continue to choose you, because as the song said earlier, man, you chose us first, so we get to choose you. And you, you, you are. Ours. You're our treasure because you treasured us. So, so God, just pray that. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thanks for letting me preach. I love you guys. Uh, invite you to stand and worship with us. You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.